Dale. We uh, have some letters down here that we're going to uh, send to some people, so uh, make sure that you come up and sign that. Uh, we've got one for Tom Yeary. He had a stint put in the other day, or stints, I'm not real sure about that. Uh, also for Bob Newman, he's getting ready to have knee surgery. And then uh, we want to, of course, pray for uh, Jimmy and Donna in the death of Donna's uh, sister. And then um, Danny Hudler is uh, down there, too. And uh, you know that he's had the oral cancer that he had uh, all the surgeries on a couple of years ago. And uh, they found more spots. And so we need to really pray for him and pray that as they do the testing and everything, our prayer is going to be that it's caught early and hadn't spread and uh, will be treatable. So make sure that you sign those. It means so much to people when, uh, you know, they, they assume the church is praying. When they get that letter with your names on it, they know the church is praying. And there's just something about knowing that you've got support and knowing that your brothers and sisters are caring about you and that they're lifting you up in the Lord. And so uh, pray for him and, and all of these people. They really could use it, okay? So let's turn to the 38th Psalm once again. And um, one of the things that uh, I've noticed over the years, and it's personal, it's also uh, observational with other people and in counseling situations, you have, uh, have you ever noticed the difference between reacting and responding? Reacting and responding. Now, Sometimes reacting can be a good thing, like if you have a fire, smell smoke, you call 911, I think I've got a fire in my house, and you expect the fireman to react and to react quickly to that. But most of the time, a reaction is not really a good thing. Okay? You go to the doctor, and the doctor says, you need to get a flu shot. Okay? So they get out their stuff. And they jab you and put the flu shot. You go home and all of a sudden your arm swells up. It feels like it's going to fall off. You develop a rash all over your body and then you have trouble breathing. And they call that a what? Reaction. Not a good thing. Not a good thing. And when we think about the word reaction or reacted, she reacted in anger or something like that. Not, not a good thing. Not a good thing. However... A response, we think of that as more positive. For example, we call uh, people, when we call an ambulance or fire or cops or whatever, they're a first responder. And they don't just rush in and go into the house and start kicking walls down and throwing people around. They come in and they assess the situation and they take care of things. There's a triage if there's an injury or something like that, or uh, they start an, a preliminary investigation if it's a criminal thing, and they are responders to those. Now, I uh, did a little research on that because that's the way that hits me, and tonight we want to talk about uh, responding instead of reaction out of Psalm 38 because if we're not careful, we can have a bad strategy for dealing with bad times, and that only makes it worse. That only compounds the situation. So is there a difference between responding and reacting in uh, not just an anecdotal way, but is that, is that really a serious thing? Well, I looked it up and uh, said that a response is the result of more careful thought. 
In some situations, the reaction is okay, but in most cases, it is dangerous. And this is because the reaction that one gives is not evaluated. It's just a response, a reaction, just an outburst. A reaction is often based on the moment. One does not invest the effort to think about the outcomes while reacting. Okay, you just do something. Now, again, there are some cases where that's fine and that's good and that's optimal. But a lot of times it's really not. Let me tell you a story. Pamela and Eric have been in couples counseling for 10 months and are learning to contain their tendency to react, something that has seriously impaired their relationship, and to respond to each other instead. Okay, remember, respond, thoughtful, evaluated, right? This has not been easy for two individuals with acknowledged difficulties with anger and impulsivity. Anybody have any problems with that? In a recent counseling session, Pamela told Eric that she would like the two of them to plan a vacation, the first one in over four years. Eric had an explosive reaction to his wife's suggestion. How can you suggest such a dumb thing when you know we're having financial problems? And he followed this with an emphatic, absolutely not. Okay, what are you going to guess she did? Pamela, not surprisingly, felt attacked and bullied and counterattacked. There's the problem. Counterattacked Eric by saying, Well, it's your fault that we're having money problems. Well, here's a hard hit, especially for uh, a man. If you were a better provider, we could take vacations like our other friends. So, she got hit in the greatest need that she has, that of security. No, we can't take, we can't afford to take a vacation, which is not just about the vacation. It's also saying we're in a precarious situation, and that hit her. And then she responds with saying, well, if you were a better provider, which is what he feels that his real role is, and then she has to add those words, like our other friends. You know what that's saying? You're inadequate. Boy, my other friends, their husbands, they can provide for all of this, but not you, loser. Now, how do you think that is going to resolve anything? And do you think that that's the kind of interchange that is going to be just kind of like, oh, well, she didn't mean it. Oh, well, he didn't really mean that. Oh, it was a bad day, a bad time. Probably not. That's probably the kind of thing that's going to be remembered. That kind of thing that's going to sting. That kind of thing that was, well, let's put it this way. It was intended to hurt. Am I right about that? It was intended to hurt. And most of the time reactions are. Uh, you know, my father-in-law was a boxer when he was young. And there was one time I remember uh, when I was at Trinity Baptist Church in Moore. He was coming in the side door about the time I was going out. And it was starting to get dark. He didn't see me until he came in the building. I just about got knocked out. 
That was a reaction, okay? And when you think about that, had he done that to me, you know, I probably would still remember it, right? That'd be that kind of thing I would have ducked every time I got around him. And uh, reactions are those things like the deal with the flu shot. They're negative, they're long-lasting, they're memorable, and they are very, very, very hurtful. Okay? Now, when we think about this, um, an addendum to the story said, when people who are struggling with being too reactive recognize the damage it can do and start to, listen to this, deliberately formulate thoughtful responses rather than impulsive reactions, their uh, interactions begin to reflect a higher degree of emotional competency. And as a result, they live with much less regret and lessen the need to repair damage to their relationships with others. Okay? That's pretty good, isn't it? It's not Bible, but it's pretty good. Actually, that is a, uh, an article from a secular therapist. And the story is taken from, of all things, Psychology Today magazine in uh, January 16th, 2018. Now, I thought about that, and I thought about couples that I've counseled. I thought about situations that we've had in our church in times past. And I thought, wow, God's people sure don't act like this. Not very often. We react. And we kind of have it with a ready, fire, aim mentality, don't we? And we hurt people. We get hurt. And some of those things just don't go away very easily. And it made me think of the last part of Luke 16 Verse 8, for the sons of this age are more shrewd or wiser in relation to their own kind than the sons of light. That's quite an indictment. Sometimes lost people are wiser than saved people are. Now, it may be for a different motive, and it may uh, certainly is not for the glory of God, so we're not going to go too far with that, but sometimes... They know how to get along and figure things out better than even God's people do. Sometimes there's way too much sibling rivalry among brothers and sisters in Christ. And we don't act too Christ-like. And most of the time, it's because we didn't stop and think. I regret saying that. Well, I shouldn't have opened my mouth. Why do I always say those things? Why can't I control myself? It's because you react instead of responding. Stop. Take a deep breath. Think about it, evaluate it, and uh, consider whether you really want to say that or not. And uh, the children of this age are sometimes wiser than the children of light. So let's look at what David has to say as a child of light. See if we can get a little wisdom from him. In Psalm 38, and we'll begin reading in uh, verse 13. Now, David has just described, we won't read the whole thing this time like we did last week, all of the horrific things that were coming upon him. And uh, he did acknowledge 
It's because of his sin. And in another part of the psalm, he says, because of my foolishness. It affected him physically. It affected him emotionally, mentally, and spiritually as well. I mean, you read all of that, and it's a, it's a horrible, horrible situation. And then it's like, um, huh, if you've ever watched a football game when somebody makes a tackle, and then they stand over the guy that they've tackled, and they taunt him. You know, they're supposed to flag that, aren't they? And uh, David is uh, being taunted by all of his people. David has been the righteous king, the godly king, the sweet psalmist of Israel and all of that. And uh, now because of his sin, and we don't know what it was, now the enemy is blaspheming him. You know, Nathan the prophet said that after he had hit the adultery with Bathsheba. You have given the enemies of the Lord occasion or opportunity to blaspheme. Well, that, that's, that wasn't just that one time. That's kind of what's happening here. These people are looking at David, pointing at him, say, look at, at, the, look at the righteous guy. Look at the guy who's so godly. Hey, sing us a, a holy song now, David, and, you know, all of that kind of thing. And David, in response, says something, and we can learn from this, and we're going to look at it kind of from the negative mistakes we make instead of uh, and 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 help us to understand this a little better because in verse 13 he says but I like a deaf man do not hear what is he talking about do not hear what the taunts of the ungodly he doesn't hear all of them making fun of him he doesn't hear their negativity he doesn't hear their their blasphemy and that type of thing but I like a deaf man do not hear and I am like a mute who does not open his mouth and because of that he says in verse 14 thus I am like a man who does not hear and in whose mouth is no response verse 15 for in you O Lord I hope somebody say amen to that that's where we all need to be you will hear O Lord my God verse 16 for I said Hear me, that lest they rejoice over me, and lest when my foot slips, they exalt themselves against me. And we'll just look at the first phrase of verse 17. Look at his vulnerability. For I am ready to fall. For I am ready to fall. I think about the Apostle Paul who said, uh, then let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. And sometimes it's in our moments of, of, oh, I'm so secure and I'm strong and I know what to do. And that's about the time that we fall. That seems to be a little bit of, of what David is dealing with here. He didn't expect to fall. You know, back in Psalm 30, he even said, you know, oh, Lord, when my mountain stood strong, I was you know, bold and happy, and then you hid your face, and, and he fell apart. And that's where the famous phrase is, weeping endures for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Uh, it, it's when we start getting the king of the hill, and I'm the conqueror, and I've really won the victory, and I'm secure in all of this, and we don't realize how vulnerable that we really are. And how quick we are that we might fall. Well, David is seeing it here. And he realizes that no matter what he can do humanly, uh, he, he's skating on thin ice. He understands now that he is really vulnerable to a fall. And he doesn't want that. And so he has to put his hope in the Lord. And you notice 
Sometimes you see people who say, my hope's in the Lord, I'm just following the Lord, but they can't keep their mouth shut. And they make things worse. David's saying, my hope's in the Lord, so I don't really feel the need to respond or maybe we would say to react to the situation that is at hand. Now, David could have. David had a temper. David could get angry. and David could be very violent at times. He was a warrior after all. But this is the point where he's finally got the message. You know, in the New Testament it says that we are supposed to be swift, to hear slow to what speak and slow to wrath but see a lot of times what happens is we're speaking before we're thinking and we're angry before we really know the whole situation and then we wonder why there's damage all around us and why we can't repair the things (coughs) that are going on and apparently this is not an unusual thing but God's children have trouble with it and that's why we're told to be careful but Solomon said a soft answer turns away wrath. But we don't give those very often, especially when we're offended, especially when we're like uh, Pamela in that story. She felt attacked and felt bullied and all of that. And so she hit back and it was kind of a hit below the belt, probably as far as Eric was concerned. But then again, he wasn't innocent in it, in it either. Had they both just stopped, taken a deep breath, Maybe counted to three or something like that. Whatever Daniel Tiger says that you're supposed to do when you're mad. Uh, And just taking it easy and responded instead of reacted. Maybe they could have had a conversation. Maybe they could have worked it out. Maybe they could have seen each other's perspective and not just attacked each other. And there's a little bit of blame that's going on in there too. I mean, Pamela's... insinuation is if I were the provider and if I were taking care of the finances we'd have money just like everybody else does but you can't handle it you can't do it and you know and he probably didn't respond very well to uh, any of that at all because unfortunately we don't know the rest of the story so let's uh, take this what David did and let's talk about some mistakes we make when we react instead of respond mistake number one okay We listen to the wrong voices. Listen to the wrong voices. And uh, David just says here in verse 13, But I, like a deaf man, do not hear. And that's referring back to verse 12. Those who seek my life lay their snares, and those who seek my hurt speak of ruin, and they even meditate treachery all the day long in other words there's not a good thing coming out of their mouth because their thoughts are corrupted and they're all evil toward David and they want David to hurt they want him to be harmed and I don't know who these people are maybe they were relatives of a Philistine that he killed remember he would go to battle with Saul and uh, they would, when he came back to Israel, they would say, Saul has slain his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. Uh, don't think that the enemies did not know that. And in that culture, in the Middle East, they hold on to guilt for generation after generation after generation after generation, especially among the uh, non-Jews in the Middle East. They, they just hold on to all of that forever and ever. And uh, maybe some of those people are thinking about David. Oh, yeah, well, you killed my grandfather. And you probably don't even remember and you probably didn't even know him. But because of that, I hate you 
and I want you to suffer like my grandfather did or my father or my husband or my son or whatever it may be. I mean, when you've been killing ten thousands in battle, uh, you're probably not a hero to that side, are you? Maybe they were some of Goliath's relatives. Maybe it's something like that. And we look at the story and all we see is positives in it. Well, if you're on the other side, you probably, if you were Goliath's wife, you probably weren't positive about that story. If you were Goliath's parent, you probably weren't positive about that story. And you didn't see David as a hero. You saw him as a, a murderer. You saw him as someone that uh, needed to be avenged. And so you would rejoice when bad things would happen to him. And that's what's happening. David's enemies are happy about all of this maybe it was an internal thing maybe there were people in his own kingdom and in his own administration that really didn't like him and he's had it too easy and God favors everything that he does who does he think he is I deserve a piece of the pie I deserve a little power maybe somebody was trying to assassinate him so that they could take over the kingdom I don't know we we, we don't really know but we know it was bothering David and David just finally decided I'm shutting off my ears to everything they have to say. And sometimes we just listen to the wrong people. You know, social media makes that worse than probably ever. Because we can go on, you know, one of the platforms and we can look and we can see that person that we're having trouble with. And then we read what they wrote. And, you know, sadly, we not only read what they write, but we read into what they write. I bet they were talking about me. They may not have been. Doesn't mention your name. Well, I know what they were thinking, you know. And all that does is stir you up, make you angry. It makes you want to take matters into your own hands. It makes you speculate about things. And uh, that, that just never works out real well. Now, why should I not care what, the, uh, what my enemies have to say? Well, think about this. They're not really concerned for your welfare. Not really concerned for your welfare. They're not really trying to help you Especially when they say, well, you know what you should have done and go through all of that. They're not doing that for your benefit. They're doing that to tear you down. They're doing that to destroy you. They're doing that to defeat you. And so uh, sometimes we listen to the wrong voices and they get in our heads and they live in there rent free. And, uh, you know, there are those times when something triggers you and you can hear them and hear everything that they said and you can hear their voice and their condemnation and the condemnation of the enemy, all of that kind of stuff that comes into you and, and you just really shouldn't listen to them. And their hatred poisons the well, so to speak. And uh, one of the things about poisoning a well is uh, you may drop proportionally just a little bit of poison in proportion to all of the fresh water there but it's all contaminated and you may do it over here on this edge of the well but it spreads to all of it and that's what happens in all of this you can't contain it you can't keep it just in one place and I think that's why we have in this psalm such a description of David mentally spiritually physically emotionally he is shot because none of this stuff ever just stays in one place. And so God is dealing with David and he's using all of this to get David's attention. And David is starting to respond to it here. But boy, it has been rough so far on David. And so David needs to decide like we do, I'm not going to listen to the enemy anymore. I'm not going to listen 
to all of those things that are not coming from God, that are not edifying, that are not building me up. And there's far too much input that we have in our lives today from people who want to destroy us, people who don't love us, people who will gloat if we were to fall, people who would rather put us down than ever lift us up. We all have some of those situations. And so they make themselves, you know, looking. Uh, David is kind of cowering down here. He's the king. What happened to his armies? What happened to his <coughs> warrior ability? What happened to all of that? Well, there's something about the enemy. They make themselves look more numerous and more fierce than they really are. I can't tell you how many times I've had somebody come to me. Pastor, we need to talk to you. What's going on? Well, there are a lot of us who say, blah, blah, blah. okay? When I was younger, I took that at face value. Now, anymore, I generally say, okay, who are we talking about? Oh, well, well, they're just a, just a lot of people. Well, until you can give me some names and some situations here, I'm not terribly interested because I got a feeling it's just you. And you're trying to puff yourself up. And you're trying to look big. And you're trying to say there's some big momentum. Because most of the time there's not. But people always want to make themselves look like they've got a following. To look like they've got a group. You've had that happen at work. You've had that happen in your neighborhood. You've had that happen even sometimes in your family. Well, there are just a lot of us that are. And, and maybe they're careful with the words. We're just concerned. Now, if you could look in their head, they really want to kill you, but they can't say that, so they just say, we're concerned about some things. And they make themselves look bigger, more powerful than they really are. And what happens to us? We panic. We panic. We don't walk by faith. We panic. And what happens when we panic? We say things we shouldn't have said. We say things we regret. We say things that throw gasoline on the fire. And here we are, then, the Beatitudes. It says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. And we don't look like the sons and daughters of God because we're throwing gasoline on the fire and we're making things worse. Amen or oh me? I'll give you an oh me. That is a tough, tough thing. So David says, I'm just not going to listen to it because most of it is not true. And the other danger you run if you're listening to the wrong voices, you become obsessed with your enemy. Have you ever known somebody that was having trouble with somebody and that's all they could talk about and everything they did? Oh, you're having banana pie? Boy, that skunk like banana pie. I mean, everything reminded them of the bad guy. And you can't live like that. You can't have joy like that because you get obsessed with that person. You want to know everything they're doing, where they are, what they've been, what they spent their money on, who they were with. And again, social media makes a lot of that more possible than it was in days past unless you hired a private investigator or something like that. But you can see where this leads. And so we become obsessed with the bad guy, with the enemy, with the ungodly. And um, that's just something that, you know, is not going to go away very quickly. So how do we counter this? We're still on point number one. And that is somehow you've got to make, it, make up your mind. You don't want revenge. You want to be biblical. 
You want to be biblical and you want to honor Christ even in anger and hurt. So you, to do that, you've got to do something that's very painful. You've got to check your motive. And most of us are smart enough to kind of you know, say like I did before, well, we're just concerned and we're just really bothered and oh. The truth of the matter is you want revenge so bad you can't stand it. You want the other person to suffer. You don't want them to repent. You want them to suffer. You want them to hurt like you've hurt and you'll contribute to that if you can and it doesn't make you look bad. Now you got to check your motive. And I would also say get counsel from people who love you. So many times we take our information from people who don't care or even people who hate us, get, get your counsel from people who love you and love you enough to tell the truth because you need to appreciate honesty even if it's coming your direction. You know, we like to be honest about all the bad guys, but we don't like to be honest when it comes our direction and sometimes it hurts. Here's a scripture for you, Proverbs 27, verse 6. Faithful are the wounds of a friend... Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Now, don't try to analyze all of that thing. Just, just get the point here that if somebody loves you, they're willing to hurt you. If somebody cares about you, they're willing to hurt you in order to help you. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, it says. Okay, So we listen to the wrong voices. Instead of the people that could help us, that give, we attack sometimes the people that could do us the most good because they don't say what we wanted them to say and they don't do it in the way we wanted them to do it and it hurt us and so we kill the messenger. Don't, don't, don't do that. That's not very smart. Uh, here's the second mistake. Mistake number two. Responding to people who just do not care. Responding to people who do not care. David said... I'm not only deaf, I'm mute. I'm not saying anything. You know how it is when we feel we've got to respond. They can't get away with all of this. And, and here's the thing we don't realize sometimes. We think that if we respond and if we put them in their place and we really get after them, what do you think they're going to do? They're going to get angrier. They're going to come after you harder. You know why? Because they don't care. Well, you're not right with God. They don't care. Well, you're not being loving toward me. They don't care. Well, you treated me badly and embarrassed me. They don't care. And it doesn't do any good to try to negotiate or confront someone who doesn't care. These people that are coming after David, oh, you hurt my feelings. They don't care. That's what they wanted to do. Does that make sense? And so we try to go, I'm just going to put, I'm going to let them have it. And so we get on social media or we send a text or we write a letter or we do something like that. Hey, folks, unless you need it documented, don't write it down because they can always pull it back up. 20 years from now, they can still read that letter. 20 years from now, they can get that text. They can get that email, and we just think, oh, we're just going to blast them, and man, they're not going to get away with this. They don't care. In fact, they're glad to see you losing your mind. They're happy that you're so in turmoil about them. That gives them power. Sometimes the best thing you can do is nothing. 
drive them nuts. You were supposed to get mad. You didn't. You were supposed to respond and make yourself look like a fool. And you didn't. You were supposed to get angry and act like a lost person. And you didn't. The other thing too is, if you don't put it in writing and you don't do that, whenever things are made right, they don't have the visible reminder of what went on before. It's easier. Sometimes it's easier just to, eh, just don't think about it anymore. But when you see that paper, oh, I can't believe they did. Do you remember when they did that? Oh, all of that kind of stuff. You don't need that. So don't write it down. Be like David and be deaf to the voices that are wrong and the counsel that is wrong and be mute. Don't be a reactor to that. It's better not to open your mouth. You know, Solomon said it's better, and Abraham Lincoln said that, a paraphrase of this, better to be silent and be thought a fool, a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. Isn't that the right? And sometimes we just make ourselves look foolish, petty, ungodly, and all of that. So be careful. Don't put things in writing unless you need a record of it. Some things need to be written down. And don't become like your adversary. Sometimes we've got these people, they are so bad and they are so in sin and they are so mean and they are so awful. And by the time we finish, we're just like them. An objective person watching couldn't tell the difference. Who's the bad guy here? Well, obviously it's him. No, it kind of looks like it's you too. I, it, that always reminds me of... Uh, what the scripture says in uh, Revelation chapter 12 verse 10. And John writes, And I heard a voice in heaven saying, Now salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. Now listen to this. For the accuser of our brethren. Now who's that? I'll go ahead and say it if you think it. It's the devil. It's Satan, right? The accuser of our brethren. That's one of his titles. Ooh, I've been in church work long enough. I've known some people that sit in pews and chairs that act like that, and they could be called an accuser of the brethren. They were always tattling on somebody. They were always mad at somebody. They were always trying to trip somebody up. You see, when we act ungodly like that, and we react and we speak like that, we take on the characteristic of the devil. Ouch. When you gossip, you're taking on the characteristic of the devil. When you slander somebody, you're taking on the characteristic of the devil. When you make a false accusation, you take on the characteristic of the devil. Well, I didn't mean to. Doesn't matter. The damage is done. Well, I just didn't know all the facts and all the story. Then you should have kept your mouth shut. Right? And this is where we've got to be slow to speak. Swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath, going back to that verse. And we just don't do that very well, especially in these days. So responding in defensiveness and anger, there's our problem. What we need to learn to do is to tell the truth and to check our motive, whether it is restoration or revenge. Well, I just want them to get right with God. No, you really want revenge sometimes. You need to confess that to the Lord and be truthful about it. Proverbs 24 gives us a warning, verse 17 and 18. Do not rejoice when your enemy falls. Do you? And let not your heart be glad when he stumbles. 
Is it? Lest the Lord see it and be displeased with you and turn away his anger from him. What? Hey, if you start acting like the bad guy and you're a child of God, God will turn his wrath away from the real bad guy and put it on you because you're acting like the devil and you're acting like the bad guy. You don't want that to happen. That, that's scary to me to think that the Lord would do that. Take the chastisement off the guy that was really wrong and put it on me because I wasn't acting like a Christian. I wasn't acting right. See, this stuff is extremely practical that David is going through. And so we need to desire reconciliation as far as possible. It may not be that you can be best friends and best buds again, but you've got to get it right as far as possible. Number three. Mistake number three is being inconsistent with a good strategy. So I thought about that in verse 14. David says, I'm like a deaf man and I'm like a, a mute man. And then he goes to verse 14 and he says the same thing. Thus I am like a man who does not hear and in whose mouth is no response. Well, David, why'd you say that twice? We got it. And then it dawned on me. I have seen person after person after person that when they get in a rough situation, a divorce situation, a family situation with their kids or somebody else or a bad work situation or a problem in the church and they say, well, I'm just going to trust God and hold on. And that lasts about five minutes and then they start acting like the devil. And then they go back to, I'm just going to trust and hold on to the Lord. And then they let some things out where they act like the devil. And then they go back, I'm just going to hold on to the Lord. How much credibility does that kind of person have? And they may have it right. And they may have a good strategy. But their problem is they're inconsistent with that strategy. Well, at least I did it most of the time. You don't get credit for that. Your enemies look for your failures. They don't cheer on your successes and that person you're having trouble with is not going to say well you know what they were good you know three out of four times they're going to bring up the fourth time when you weren't and they're going to use that to accuse you and the enemy is going to use that to try to condemn you and they're going to be wounds and they're going to be problems and things that you can't always take back and you can't always get right so it's not the times that you did what was right you get blasted for the times that you lapsed in your judgment. And so I would just say to sum up that point. Don't sabotage your testimony. Don't sabotage your testimony. Sometimes we're kind of our own worst enemy aren't we? And we blow things up and we ruin things. And then we try to tell people. Well I have perfect peace with Christ and it's well with my soul. And they want to go well prove it. Prove it. You don't act like it. And number four, the last mistake, is looking to God, get this, without hope. David said in verse 15, for you, in you, O Lord, I hope. You say, well, is it possible to look to the Lord without hope? I have prayed hopeless prayers a thousand times. Lord, why don't you do something? Lord, you're not acting fast enough. Lord, you need to deal with them. And you need... You ever done anything like that? There's no trust. There's no rest. There's no faith. It's just venting. Some of our prayers, we're just venting to the Lord. and We're just vomiting out all of this acid and 
all of this stuff. And it's really not doing it. Why am I finding the peace? Because you don't have any faith. You don't have any hope in the Lord. You're not willing to leave it in His hands. You're trying to tell Him what to do. You're acting like He's unfaithful. You're acting like He's failed. You're acting like He doesn't know the situation. You're acting as if He can't assess things right. And He doesn't have a good strategy. And He's waiting on you to tell Him what to do. Folks. Jesus Christ is not in Congress. He doesn't need your letters and phone calls to know what to do. He's not asking for your vote and making promises so that if he doesn't keep them, you can vote him out or anything. That's not the way it is. He is the sovereign one. He is your Lord. He is your master. He has your best interest at heart. If we could only learn to be quiet to quit hearing all of the voices of the world around us and just simply go to Him and go to Him in hope. You are my hope. I know you've got this. I know you are going to fix this. It's not in my hands. Let me take my hands off of the wheel. Remember the old bumper sticker? God is my co-pilot. Remember that? That insinuates that you're the pilot. Folks, that's dumb. Well, okay, well then I'll let God be in the pilot seat and I'll be co-pilot with him. No, go to the back of the plane where you belong. Sit down and buckle your seatbelt and eat some peanuts if you're not allergic to them and drink a Coke and wait for the landing. God doesn't need your help. But you know what? So many times we act as though God really needs our help. Boy, if I could tell God what to do and he would do things my way, it would be... So absolutely wonderful. But David said, For in you, O Lord, I hope. You will hear, O Lord my God. He's not deaf. For I said, Hear me, lest they rejoice over me, lest when my foot slips. See, he knows his vulnerabilities. Don't act like you're perfect. Don't act like you're the righteous one in this situation. You probably contributed something to it. Remember Carl Kerrigan used to tell us there's two sides to every coin no matter how thin the coin. We forget that, don't we? And remember he also told us that it's not enough to be right. You have to be, remember this, right, right. And so many times we may be right, but we're going about it all in the wrong way. And we're clubbing people over the head with our rightness. And God's got something to say about that. Lest they rejoice over me when my foot slips and they exalt themselves against me. For I am ready to fall. Do you realize how vulnerable you are? One foot in the grave and another on a banana peel, they used to say. It's kind of the way it is. And so Steve Lawson says, David committed to wait patiently for God in the presence of those who gloated over his misfortune. That is hard to do. You're gloating over my misfortune while I'm waiting on the Lord? Boy, that's hard. Man, that's hard to do. So I want to give you a little advice here and we'll be through. Why is it that you see people when they go through hard times like David is right there, the first thing they do is quit coming to church? That's not smart. That's not smart. 
They talk to everybody but the people who could help them. They hang around everybody but the people who could help them. And they go, well, church didn't do any good, so I'm going to go get drunk. Or I'm going to have an affair. Or I'm going to do, you know, all kinds of things come up when they should have their blessed assurance, as they used to say, sitting in here in the church. Getting fed on the Word of God, being around the people of God, being encouraged, having people love them, having people pray for them instead of just trying to handle it on their own. I don't understand that. That's the dumbest thing. They forsake church and fellowship with other believers. I was just in too much pain and turmoil to go to church. Really? That's the place you ought to go. Well, so much was going wrong in my life. I just can't go to church anymore. No, that's the place you ought to go. Well, all the people there will look down on me then you got a pride problem. You think everybody's looking at you, and you think everybody else, this is a place where you go to crow and show how perfect you are. No, have a little humility. This is a group of sinners. We are wounded, we are hurting, and we struggle with everything. Can I get an amen on that? We hadn't figured it out yet. We're still asking questions. We're still trying to find all of the answers. We're still trying to figure it all out and get this sanctification thing down and do it for the glory of God. We're all wounded. This is a hospital for sinners. This is not a museum of the perfect. Isaiah chapter 30 verses 1 and 2 gives us counsel on this. Because we need to be in church. We need to read and obey the scriptures. Read and obey. And don't put your trust in man. And that just is what trips us up so much. I thought they were better than that. Well, you shouldn't have. Well, I thought they, were, they had it all together. And I never dreamed they would do that. Well, don't, don't do that. Isaiah 30 verses 1 and 2 says, This is God speaking. Ah, stubborn children, declares the Lord, who carry out a plan but not mine and who make an alliance but not out of my spirit that they may add sin to sin in other words it gets worse who set out to go down to Egypt not a good thing without asking my direction to take refuge in the protection of Pharaoh and seek shelter in the shadow of of Egypt that's a person who says well life's not working so well I'm going to quit going to church and I'm going to go to the bar what are you going to find there except trouble and heartache and if you have to find your joy in a bottle or in a pill it's not the spirit of God and all you do is add sin to sin and what happens it gets worse you know the old saying Definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and hoping for different results. Learn. Learn and stop and try something different because there is a better way when we look to the wisdom of God. And all God's people said, we're just dumb sheep, aren't we? See, I, I said we, not you. I said we, we're just dumb sheep. We're not all that smart. We need a shepherd. And we need the instruction of the word of God. Thank God he gives us his instruction. And he gives us his spirit. So that we can learn it. So that we can follow it. And all God's people said. Heavenly Father we pray you would forgive us for just our stupidity. We act like the devil. And then think we're going to get rewarded for it. 
We react to people and situations and say things that we regret and we, oh, I didn't mean that. And the truth is we probably really did. Forgive us when we just try to be hypocrites and cover ourselves up and act like Christians when we're really not acting like Christians. And we learn from David here in this situation. Oh, if we could just keep our mouths shut. And if we could quit hearing the things we don't need to hear and being curious about all of them, taking them to heart and acting as though that people who would lie about us would ever tell us the truth. Why do we believe them instead of believing you? So we're asking you to forgive us. We're asking you to fix us. We're asking you to repair us. And we're asking you, Lord, to restore our hope because our only hope is in you. So we come to you asking you to please help us and sanctify us like your word says. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.